I'm going to do this so everybody, can everybody see me well, like if I'm down here? Feels that way, right? We're going to do that. Awkward. Okay. All right. Yes, this feels better. This feels better. Now, no napping because I will, I will come to you. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, out there online, wherever you are, our friends in uh, Tanzania, Pastor Epaphras, welcome to you guys and your congregation. Um, gosh, it's amazing to be here. Uh, welcome especially to the visitors. People, I see some that it's the first time, some second time, <clears throat> and I know Pastor Gabe said welcome, but it means a lot to us, especially here in this new mission field, this new place that we feel the Lord has called us to. It's, you know, our heart was that people would come. And I told you last week, one of my, you know, our very first service here, one of the things the enemy was speaking to me is, nobody's going to come. Nobody's going to follow you. And, and so you, you blew through that barrier last week and God's faithfulness. I mean, I knew, I knew in my head, but the enemy just pokes away at you, doesn't he? Just saying like, oh, it's not going to happen the way you think. It's not going to happen. But God is so good. God is so faithful. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to celebrate is God's goodness, God's faithfulness. And the message I have today uh, is the second one in our little kind of a mini-series sort of thing. Uh, if you're new here, I say mini-series, it'll be probably three weeks or so, and then we'll get back into uh, the Gospel of Mark that we've been going through. And uh, the way we do series here at Discover, it's um, six months, a year, we will travel through an entire book of the Bible, and we will pull it apart, and we'll find out what kind of gold the Lord has for us in there. So three weeks is super short series for us. Um, but again, this series um, is really about God's faithfulness, but just as important as God's faithfulness is our response to his faithfulness. And what I mean by that is what do you do when you pray for something? With all your heart, hopefully most of us, many of us pray, the Bible says, unceasingly, all the time. Pray about everything all the time. So hopefully a lot of us are doing that. But what do you do when you pray for something and it doesn't happen? At least not doesn't happen the way that you think it should happen. Maybe that's the more important way to put it, is what if God answers your prayers, but it doesn't look like you thought it was going to look? Can we still praise him in that? Can we still see beyond our wants and our desires and our personal, the way in our mind things were going to look, and just know that where he brings us, if we're praying, if we're seeking his heart, and he brings us to a place in response to that prayer, that whether it looks like what we want it to look like or we thought it was going to look like or not, God is good, and he's in it, and he's faithful can you make that leap in your mind? I prayed and prayed and prayed. Something happened, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Can we still then say God is good and God is faithful? That's what we're talking about here because really our response in that situation will either give God glory. We can say it didn't look like I thought it was going to look, but he is, he is so good and I am so thankful for what he has given me. Or we can question and we can doubt. And instead of giving God glory, we can give the enemy ammunition to use against us. Or, maybe even worse yet, we can think that we did something wrong. What did we do wrong? Or if it went well, we can say, look what I did. Both are equally dangerous. There are going to be times in our lives where we are crying out to God. And I'm not talking like, Lord, I'd like a better job. Just Prayers like that, which are valid prayers. I'm talking about those desperation, snot bubble, crying out to God. And he, yeah, you know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? But you're crying out to God in desperation. And, and it feels like nothing's happening. It feels like nothing's happening. It just feels like, like, like you're in a vacuum, like you're shouting into a cave and all you're hearing is echoes of your own voice. And it doesn't seem like anything's happening. Have you ever been tempted to think God's ignoring your prayers? I mean, we can be fairly certain that he hears us if we cry out to him. The Bible promises that. If we cry out to him, he hears us. But what if he hears us and just says, eh, I got other things to do. 
Do you ever think that? That's not true, by the way. But we're so tempted to think that sometimes. So when we talk about prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5 says pray without ceasing. Okay, so that tells us we should just pray constantly 24-7. Anybody pray constantly 24-7? Other than George. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, we know we should. We know that there's, that there's benefit, there's blessing to doing that, that God will, will direct our steps. We know, we should know, that prayer is such an incredibly powerful tool. And yet, oftentimes we just resort to, I can't figure it out myself, I guess I'll pray. And I don't mean that in a bad way, that's just human nature, Matthew 21, 22, Matthew says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's pretty straightforward. So if you believe that, if you believe the word of God in the Bible is accurate and true, and it is the word of God, why wouldn't you pray without ceasing? Why wouldn't you ask for it and you will receive it? If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. Doesn't that seem easy? I mean, if that's how it worked, wouldn't we all have everything we ever wanted? And even those people who had their skepticism about God being real or maybe outright said he's not real, if he saw Christians all over the place saying, I'm going to pray for this car, poof, there it is. Would there be anybody who denied the power of God? And would there be anybody who wasn't a Christian anymore? I doubt it. If it was that easy. But it's not that easy. That's the thing. We have an enemy of our soul who's going to do everything he can to make it seem much more difficult than that. And more than that, when God does answer your prayers in a way that's not maybe exactly what you had thought, he's going to lie to you. And, and the Satan is going to tell you that you failed somehow. You missed it. God's not as good as he's made out to be. This is what the enemy does. What we need to be able to do then is in the midst of that, I'll call it adversity, seeming adversity, simulated adversity, things that we look at and think that's a problem, but God's saying, trust me, it's not a problem. But in our minds it is. Satan's telling us it is. But in the middle of that, can we still say, I know that God is faithful? Scripture is full of situations like that. David, think about David. We call him King David, but he wasn't always King David. He was, he was uh, Shepherd David. He was uh, beat up and chased around and, and shot at David. It didn't always look like what King David ought to look like, right? Especially if you've been anointed king early and your life is not playing out in front of your eyes like a king's life ought to be. But here's what David wrote. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is all about David in his older years. Now, he's looking back at his life. And he's talking about specifically injustice. And you can read Psalm 37 if you want. Um, but I'm going to read you verses 3 through 5. David says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Gosh, we're getting a whole lot of scriptures here that make it seem like if you want it, it's going to happen. And they're not wrong. The problem is the way it looks in our brain. Now, do you need something a little more modern than maybe David? Let's look, let's look at something that's only 2,000 years old. Let's look at what John said. 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence with which we, with, excuse me, <clears throat> this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, so that's step one. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. It's kind of a roundabout way to say, if we pray anything according to his will, we know he hears us, and we know that we will get what we ask for. Okay, so all these things lining up, 
again and again and again to say, if we ask him, we will receive what we want. Okay, so we have that as, a, as groundwork here. Now, question is, have you ever prayed? Have you ever prayed in earnest? I mean, praying hard for something and then started walking down the path that you think you're being led down. In other words, you, you pray, you hear, you're like, I think the Lord wants me to do this or to do that, whatever that thing is. You start walking down that path only to start encountering difficulties, pushback, rejection, things not working out, and you're like, what happened? I prayed. Scripture says to pray, and I'll get it. I prayed, and I started walking the way that I thought I heard, and now I'm getting pushback. I'm getting resistance. What is happening here? Causes you to question the whole thing, doesn't it? Causes you to question, now I say it, I mean, Satan takes those situations and he stirs them in our mind to make us think maybe God is just not as good to me as he is to everyone else. Wow, in times like that, we really need to remember his promises. That's why we have the word of God, the written word of God, so that you can refer back to that and promise after promise after promise that God is Good. And when we can't figure out or we can't see what he's doing, we still need to be able to trust that he's doing it. If you can't figure it out, you still need to be able to trust that he's doing it. And he's doing it for your good. That's why we're calling this series, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That comes from Lamentations. I'm going to talk about Lamentations a little bit. Lamentations 3, 22, 23. Here's a scripture right here. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, <clears throat> if you know much about the Bible, you probably know that people don't typically read lamentations for fun. Because the word, what's the word lament, which is the root? What does that mean to us? In our culture today, that word means woe is me. You know, it's sadness, it's disappointment, it's, oh, things didn't turn out, things didn't turn out well for me. That's what a lament is. But really the root of that very word, lamentations, it's an ancient word, but at its essence, it's a question. It means why. It means why. And not why, um, why God did you fail me? Why did it turn out like this? Why do things look the way they look? And so it's a question, really. And sometimes it's crying out, and that question is, God, we have sinned, we have failed, we have fallen so far short of what you had for us, and yet you still love us. Why? It's a question like that. Or it's, God, you've restored us, and we don't deserve that, but you're still so good to us. Why? Sometimes it's, God, I prayed for this. It didn't happen the way I thought it would. Why? So it's a question. The whole book of Lamentations is really just a question about God's faithfulness. How can you be faithful? Why are you faithful? What did I deserve for you to be so faithful to me? It's all just a big question. I love that, especially when you consider that that scripture, Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, um, there's some argument, but most scholars believe it was written by Jeremiah, okay, the prophet Jeremiah. And he's writing lamentations right after he had spent the entire book of Jeremiah to us warning Judah about their sinful ways, warning Judah about their idolatry and about the things they're allowing to come in to God's chosen people, and they are going down the wrong path. And he's warning them. And he's warning them, and he's warning them, get back on the path, be right, reject idols, reject any false gods, reject sin in your life, and follow God, or things are going to happen. And so he spends all that time saying, here's what's going to happen if we don't listen to the word of the Lord. And then we have about 580 B.C. We fast forward to that point a little bit. And Judah had become 
kind of a puppet state of Babylon. Okay, Babylon, their influence had been allowed into Judah by the various leaders that they had. And, and they, were, they were intermarrying. They were, they were all kinds of idols that they were building. They were, they were really, really going down that very path that Jeremiah was telling them they shouldn't go down or there's going to be a problem. And here's where they find themselves. So now, in the midst of that, about 601 BC, the king of Judah at the time, Jehoiakim, he decides that's enough. We have had enough of that. So he actually then leads a rebellion or a revolt against Babylon. Well, Babylon is massively huge and powerful compared to Judah. Uh, so that is a tall order. Here's what happens. Babylonians come down. They're not going to put up with this revolt. So they come down with their armies, massive armies, under King Nebuchadnezzar II. They lay siege to Jerusalem for 30 months. You know what a siege is? A siege is when they surround a whole army or a number of armies come together, and they surround your, your encampment, your fort, whatever it is, and nobody comes and nobody goes. So whatever supplies, whatever water, whatever livestock, whatever you have inside the walls at the time they lay siege, that's all you've got. And the point of a siege is not that they're necessarily going to kill everyone inside. They're going to starve them out. You're either going to go thirsty and you're going to surrender. You're going to get hungry and you're going to surrender. You're just plain going to go insane because you can't leave your space and you're going to surrender. That's the point of a siege. And they do that for 30 months. Holding out, holding out. Great story in scripture about that. Well, that'll be a message for another day. But ultimately, they succumb. They just, they just can't stand up to this massive army. So remember, Jeremiah is witnessing all this happen. And he's witnessing, I told you, I warned you, and you tried to turn away, but it was too little too late. And now here we are. We are reaping exactly what I told you was going to happen. Solomon's temple, the first temple, is burnt to the ground. Jerusalem is, is raised. It is absolutely flat, destroyed. The people, all the Judeans, the people of Jerusalem, are carted out. Let me show you just a picture. Not an actual picture, by the way, but if you can see that. This is Jerusalem burning, being torn down, and this big line of captives, they're being taken they're being taken captive up into Babylon. Now, again, that's another story, but the end of this story, again, God's faithfulness. You wouldn't look at that, okay, our city's being burnt, we're being captured, we're being taken, we're being taken up to Babylon, and yet, you fast forward a little bit, and under Cyrus the Great of Persia, Cyrus the Great then conquers Babylon, an even bigger bully comes in and conquers that bully and ultimately then allows the captive Judeans to return and pays to rebuild the temple. If that's not something that ultimately turned out to be a blessing that didn't look like you thought it was going to look, that's one of them. So the book of Lamentations is all about the prophet Jeremiah watching this happen. He's watching this happen. He's watching Judah reap the results of what he told him they would. And he's weeping over the current state of Judah. But here's the important thing to remember from him. He's understanding that Babylon, Babylon's kind of the enemy, but they're not really the enemy. They're not really the cause of what's going on here. The cause of what's going on here is that Babylon is an instrument of God's judgment. And he sees that. He knows that. And so even though he can see, okay, Babylon's coming in, and certainly there were some horrible things that happened in that conquering, taking him into slavery and all that, but he doesn't really blame Babylon. You read the scripture, he's not really blaming Babylon. He's blaming himself for failing to get the message across. He's blaming the people of Judah for failing to grasp that message. And yet he still knows that God is good. And so in the middle of that, we get the scripture that he says, God, God is so faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. In the middle of all this going on, he says, great is thy faithfulness, God, because he knows 
that how it's going to turn out is how God is ordaining it to turn out, and it will be for their good. So in the middle of, right smack in the middle of suffering the pain and consequence of their sin, Jeremiah never loses sight of God's compassion, God's mercy, God's love for them. Never does it. And in fact, if we look at what John said, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. This is what Jeremiah is doing. He's saying, we failed. God, we failed. And we need you. Now everybody can see those things I was warning them of, they're living it right now. So there's no more denying what happened. They can pretend, but I know that you're faithful. And so the book of Lamentations is all about Jeremiah kind of on behalf of them. He's weeping over Judah, but he's, he's confessing the sins of, of the nation of Judah. So here's the question I have for you guys. In the midst of suffering the consequences of your sin, think about a time where you've made a bad choice. Deliberately or accidentally, you've made a bad choice and you are suffering the consequence of your sin. Do you curse God for the pain that you're going through and question his motives? Or do you confess and repent, like John says? And how you respond to that then either gives glory to God or it gives ammunition for the enemy. There's really no in-between. So let me tell you a story about how things always turn out for your good. When you pray and you seek God's heart, it will turn out for your good, even if it doesn't look like that. Let's go back 12 years. Follow me, back 12 years. I was working as an associate pastor at our parent church, Jubilee Fellowship, and um, I was encouraged by my lead pastor at the time, the campus pastor there, I was encouraged to go share my desire to be a campus pastor. At the time, I was just, I was serving as an associate, I'm happy here, and then he asked me, he said, hey, do you, would, would you ever want to be a campus pastor? And I said, well, maybe if that's what God wants, sure. Didn't seek it, didn't go looking for it. But he said, here's what you need to do. You need to go tell our senior pastor. You need to go tell him that that's in your heart. So if a situation comes up, he knows that you know. In retrospect, not the best advice to take. Because I went and I talked to the senior pastor and I told him, I said, hey, if, if in all humility, I know I got a long way to go, but if there's ever a situation where you would ask me to take a campus, you know, and, and be in charge of that, I would, I would love that opportunity. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, you know, I don't see it. I don't think so. Yike, that hurts. So I had two options. The first, the kind of worldly option, which you see a lot in the workplace, is you go, okay, well, now I know I'm in a dead-end position, right? Isn't that what, what the world would call it, a dead-end position? I'm not going anywhere. I can't, my, my, my leader here doesn't see me at the next level, so what am I going to do? I'm either going to accept the fact that I'm at a dead-end position or I'm going to move on. Or if you don't move on, you go, I'm going to be here, but I'm going to do the bare minimum. No more, no more late nights, no more going above and beyond because what's the point if I'm never going to advance? That's kind of the way the world works a lot. Here's the other option, though. The other option is I can say, you know what? I'm not serving a man. I'm serving God. And I'm serving God where he has called me. And so what I'm going to do, there's no worldly advancement in the near future anyway, I'm going to double down and I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. In some ways, it took the pressure off me. I'm not striving to be anything else. I'm just going to serve God as diligently and as best that I can in that position. So here's what happened. Three years later, okay, nine years ago, that conversation was revisited with my senior pastor. And it wasn't at my request. He came to me. 
And what he said is, you know, things are changing. We're, we're moving people around. We're doing some different things. And I need a campus pastor. And he said, you know, three years ago, I told you I didn't see you in that position. And the way that you handled it was to serve harder, to serve more, to serve more genuinely with your heart. And the fact that you did that tells me that God wants you here. And God wants you in that position. It gave him peace, just a human being making choices based on what God is leading. And he said, you know, the fact that you did that, I have peace now. And I feel like I was wrong in what I said. But your response to that negative situation is what allowed that to happen. So this isn't about me, look at this cool thing I did. It's the response to rejection. It's the response to not getting what you want when you want it. That can either give glory to God and allow him to work things in your life, or it can do the opposite. And in that case, it, it, it gave glory to God just to serve him genuinely and then allowed God then to promote when the time was right. So what's your story? Does anybody have a story like that? Think about it. In your life, where you didn't think things were going your way, in fact, you thought just the opposite, but rather than to rebel and to be stubborn and to, and to just give in to the temptation to be disgruntled, you did the opposite, and God promoted that. Does anybody have a story like that? I mean, raise your hand if you do. We're not going to go all around. You know, if, if you, let me ask these questions. If you get what you want when you want it, you pray for something or you ask for something, and immediately it happens, does God get the glory for that? He should. But what would our temptation to be? I prayed, it happened. We could just give God the glory or just say, wow, I was smart, I was fast, I was better than that person, you know. I did something. The temptation would be to take credit for those things, especially if you get what you want because you're bigger, faster, smarter, work longer hours, work harder, those sorts of things. The temptation is to take glory for yourself. But either way, does your success or lack thereof, does it prove God's faithfulness? That's a tough question. If you pray for something and you have success in that thing, does that prove God's faithfulness? Well, it can. But what if you don't get it? Does that prove that he's not faithful? It doesn't. And that's a hard thing for our minds to overcome. What about, what about when you're trying to overcome an obstacle that seems insurmountable? It just seems there's, there's no way. There's no possible way I'm getting over that mountain, and yet... You get over that mountain. Does that give God glory? It should. Just like the other way. It should, but it's easier for us in those situations where we say that mountain was too big. There was no way that was happening, and yet it did. In those situations, it seems much easier, in my heart anyway, to give God the glory for that. But we should be doing it either way. We should be doing it whether things seem easy, whether things seem hard, whether we get what we want, whether we get a delayed what we want, or whether it looks entirely different. And how we respond to that is up to us, especially when the path seems to not be leading where you had in mind. Anybody here praying earnestly for something that seems to be working out differently than you thought it would? Don't raise a hand because that would probably be half of us if we're honest, right? Can you still trust in God's faithfulness when the path is not leading where you wanted it to lead? That's tough. It can cause you to question whether God's good or not. Okay? And if you're questioning that or if you found yourself questioning that, you are not alone. I want to let you know you are not broken you are not weird. You are not lacking faith. You are not any of those things the enemy would speak to you. You know what you are? You're a human being. You're not alone if you question those sorts of things. Let me share with you, I told you this series was going to be talking about some of the amazing things that God had done, has done to get us here 
So let me share just a short snapshot. There's so much. Gabe's got an entire journal full of things that got us into this building. This insurmountable obstacle, we're here. We're sitting in it. We're worshiping God today. And it's God's, God's faithfulness to us. But let me share you kind of the long, the short, long story. Is that even a thing? August of 2017. August of 2017, Pastor Gabe and I, we are campus pastors at uh, one of the JFC campuses, and the pastor, the very one that told me he didn't see me as a leader in ministry, um, came to me and he said, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to take your campus and launch out on your own if you want it. So we thought about it overnight, prayed about it overnight, and God very clearly told us that we should do that. And so we stepped into it. We said yes. We signed a series of one-year leases, okay, because the the parent church owned the building we were in. And so we signed a series of one-year leases based in part on our human hesitancy, like, I don't know if this is going to work or not. We've never led our own church before. We We don't know what we don't know. So let's just go a series of one-year leases. If that's not an indication of a lack of really true long-term faith. But he agreed, and we did that. The thing is that they escalated in, in cost every single year. It would, it would escalate. Now, December of 2020, fast forward just a little bit. December of 2020, okay, um, Jubilee decides, the parent church decides that they're going to sell the whole building to an investor. They're going to use that money to build another building for themselves. So they decide that they're going to sell it to an investor. Now, with a series of one-year leases in place and an investor buying the building, it looks as though things are tenuous at best. They're probably going to want us to get out as quickly as possible, sell it. So at the end of, at the end of this year lease, we're, we're going to be done. But... After praying, praying and praying to God to show me something, help me, help me navigate a way through this, I hear a word from him, and that word is to just be bold. You have not because you ask not. You can't figure out how to get longer-term security out of this deal, but go ask. So I go, and right before they sign, I mean like right before, like a week or two before they sign the paperwork to turn over the building to an investor, I meet with the senior pastor again, and I say, is there any way we can have a longer-term lease? I wasn't even thinking buying. My mind wasn't even that far ahead at the time. And he goes, you know what? Let's sign you a three-year lease. First time he had done that. Signing a three-year lease means that the new owner then has to take on that lease. Gives us a little bit of security. Like, okay, I think we're at least going to make it through this year and hopefully the next year. So we've got a little bit of security. Now, January of 2021, actually the building changes hands. And one of the very first things is I meet with the investment group that bought it. Um, and they, I'll just use the word encourage me to get out. That wasn't quite that bad. They're decent guys, but, but they're saying, Let, let's... Make no mistake, we're, we're, we don't want to be landlords. We want you to either buy this building or move on. That's what we want. They knew they couldn't really do anything, but they could nudge. So they started nudging pretty much, pretty much right away. We start exploring financing options like can we buy the building, can we do this, but during the time of COVID and the downturn that virtually everybody had during that, our provision for this church was like manna from heaven. Just enough to make that day. Just enough to provide for what our needs were. We were in no position to buy another building or even think about buying another building. But God is faithful. God is faithful. So we start looking at all kinds of other options. They're not bearing fruit. Looking at other buildings, they're not bearing fruit. Then the, the investors come to us and they offer a lease buyout option. 
saying, look, if you, if you can move on, if you can get out, I know there's two years left in your lease, but if you can get out early, we'll pay you to get out. Okay, God, what are you doing here? Should we leave or should we dig our heels in and say we're going to ride this out to the end? What should we do? We start looking at other properties. The investor group, every day my email box is full of, here's a property you may like. Here's one that would work perfect for you. And my email is just every day like, they're good guys. Don't get me wrong. They're not the villain. They're not the enemy in this. They're good guys. But they're investors. It's what they do. Then in March of this year, March of this year, it seems like God really amps up the heat and starts to do, starts to move. Things are, things are happening, things that are inexplicable happening out of the blue. Um, like, I don't even know, I don't even know how all these pieces go together. This is part of the trusting in God's faithfulness because we see things happen. Like, I get a flyer from the investors and they say, here's a, here's a cool little property that you might like. It's in the right price range. It's kind of a a little smaller, but it's kind of a decent size. It's close to you. Go check it out. So I actually drive by and I look at it. It's, on, it's over on University in uh, roughly Dry Creek. And I look at it and I go like, ah, that is so not what I pictured as our church. But it's better than doing it in my basement, right? How many of you would show up if church was in my basement? Not many of you could. So... I start thinking about it, and I've, I've never, it, it was a former uh, salon, and I look at it, and I'm like, I've never, I've drive, driven by it a hundred times, but I've never even noticed it, um, and I'm looking at it, and I go, well, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll pray about this, and I'll look at it a little bit more. Now, same day, literally the same day, Pastor Gabe is having a conversation with a person, and this person tells them, oh, I used to work at a salon that was over there off of university. And the name of that salon is Rucci, if any of you have ever heard of it or seen it, Rucci Salon. She gets home, and I'm telling her, I got this property, maybe we could drive by and look at it and just kind of see if the Lord speaks anything to you. And she goes, yeah, I was having a conversation. I forgot exactly how it worked out. But this is when she tells me, I go, it's called Ruchi. And she goes, wait, what? Repeat that? And I said, Ruchi. And she goes, I've never heard of that in my life until earlier today when somebody different randomly told me about that salon. What would your brain do? God, what are you doing? Something's stirring. Something's happening here, right? That's, and that's where our hearts immediately went to. We go that evening, we, we look at it, and we're just like, God's got to be doing this, right? So, okay, so let's pursue this. Let's start going down that road. Except almost immediately as we start pursuing that brick road, uh, brick wall, there's nothing. It's just like your feet are in mud. Nothing's happening. No fruit from that. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? You show me that. I go. I have a feeling about it. Pastor Gabe reaffirms from somebody different, the first time I've ever even heard that name, and now it's twice in the same day, God, are you doing this? That's what I think. Then, very shortly after that, Pastor Gabe hears a word during one of our prayer nights. I think it was during one of our prayer nights. And the, and the word was that God is waking us up to something different. He's waking us up to thinking outside the box of what we think that it's going to look like. Okay. So how does that work? That very same week, I get an email from Rocky Mountain Harley-Davidson saying we're closing. Okay, if any of you know that building, um, I get an email. I heard it from some friends. I get an email that verifies that. It's closing. And I'm like, that's literally right around the corner. That would be so cool. I start thinking this, and my flesh immediately goes, that's an awesome building. It was so cool. That would be great. And more than that, I used to know the owner. Like in my previous life as a mechanic, I knew the owner of Rocky Mountain Harley-Davidson, but I hadn't seen him, hadn't talked to him, totally lost track of him for like 15 years because even though he owned that, he lives on an island in Tahiti. That's the life. 
So I had no reason to expect. I'm like, how can I reach out to him? How can I maybe find a friend of a friend? In fact, I went through Facebook and messaged a guy who I knew kind of sort of kept tabs with him. And I'm like, maybe I can get a hold of him somehow. And I'm thinking, God, are you, are you working this? Is this the new thing that you're working? It's different. <laughs> Definitely different. But I'm ready for it. So then... March 22nd, Pastor Gabe is on the way home from another prayer meeting, which the whole prayer team is, we're all praying about provision and God show us, give us a leading. She's leaving. It's late at night. She drives past it at night, looks over and goes, oh, that's, that would be so cool. Just drives on by and then God says, I want you to turn around and I want you to go back and I want you to pray over that building. So she goes back, goes around that building, pray, I think you anointed it with oil even, Praying over that building, God, what are you doing? Very clear leading from the Lord to do that. So she does that. Gets home, tells me about that. I'm like, yes, God, this is great. I say yes right now to whatever you're doing there. The very next morning, I'm praying about how do I, how do I start this conversation? How do I find, uh, the guy's name is Vinny. How do I find him? What do I do? And I'm just kind of, you know, blinders on driving. Anybody ever do that? Like you find yourself in a destination, you don't remember going there? Just me. Um, But I'm driving by and I glance over at the building and I go, oh, that's weird. There's, because by now it's empty. It's pretty much abandoned, but there's a car sitting in the parking lot. And I go, oh, that's weird. And no sooner than I did that, the Lord said, go, you need to go talk to that person. Okay. So I go around the block, I pull in. And I get, I haven't seen him in 15 years. I get out of the car and I look up and I go, that's Vinny. That's the owner. And more than that, I take two steps and he looks at me and he goes, Bob? Like, yes, God. God is doing this. Here we are. We're riding this wave and God is doing this and it's working. And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, it's great to catch up. He even showed me inside the building, walked around, and we caught up with just a little bit. And he goes, yeah, we're going to ask about $8 million for it. And uh, right now, there's already several bidders, car dealers, and different things that are going on in there. And, and he goes, uh, well, you better, you better get in line. better get an offer in there really quick if you want to be considered. It's like, not exactly what I was hoping to hear. I was hoping to hear, I need a huge tax write-off, and I would be more than happy In my mind, that's what I'm hoping to hear. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. Immediately just kind of ran into that like, okay, God, you you had my wife pray over it. Our whole prayer team prayed over it. You made this random meeting with the owner who up until two days ago had been in Tahiti um, or the Bahamas at that point. But um, like. God, what are you doing? Why are you showing us these? It feels like he's dangling a carrot. And then when we reach for it, it's snatched away. What is happening here? You start thinking that you missed it. You start thinking, that is is God really faithful or am I just randomly walking around just missing things? So still not letting go. Okay, we're almost almost here. Still not letting go of that possibility. I'm just praying about what's going to happen. God, what do you have for me? And I get an email. I'm driving pops up on my screen on my phone, and I never look at my phone while I'm driving. However, this time, <laughs> Lord, I apologize for lying in church. <clears throat> I look at the phone, and it's an email from somebody I don't know. This guy, is a, he's a bivocational pastor slash realtor who's letting me know about an opportunity for a little, cute little chapel in Littleton that hasn't even been listed yet. How he got my name, I'm not sure, still not. And would we be interested in that? So again, the question, God, is that you? I'll finish that story next week. (laughs) Spoiler alert, you're sitting in the chapel... But here's the thing. My question that I had in my head was, why is he showing us all these things not to have them pan out? Why does it feel like he's leading me down this path only to nothing? Leading me down this path, nothing. 
leading us all down this path. He's confirming things with my wife and prayer, prophetic teams telling me things. Like, but it just doesn't seem to go. Could it be to open our minds that the way he answers our prayers is not going to look exactly like we want it to look? Is it to test my faith? Is it to force me to rely on him instead of my own cunning? I think that's it. Rely on him. If it was easy, if it was easy, our human nature, we wouldn't have to rely on God. We'd just say, I'll figure it out. It's when we hit those insurmountable obstacles, those mountains that seem too high to climb, that you have to press into God and say, if this is going to happen, God, it's all you. And I've said that phrase more often in the past couple months than I had in my entire life. God, if this is going to happen, it's all you. And he is so faithful. Now, I want to wrap this up by talking just this, this cool event in history. It's, it's Old Testament scripture that is a story about how God's faithfulness um, will get you over any obstacle, any mountain, but it doesn't always look like you think it's going to look. This story is about Gideon. Gideon and his battle with the Midianites. I don't know if you know much about that. It's in Judges. Judges chapter 7. You can read the whole thing on your own. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I'm going to read you some parts of it. So there's a lot of reading here because I don't want to put a lot on the presenter today. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says, then Jerubel, that is Gideon, that's the translation of his name, and all the people who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So they, they know they have to go and attack the Midianites. They know that. So they arrive with a huge army, okay? Verse 2, and the Lord said to Gideon, this is God speaking to Gideon. Okay, And he says, the people who are with you are too many for me to hand Midian over to them. Otherwise, Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power saved me. God's telling them, okay, Gideon, you brought this mighty army of people with you. That's too many. Normally, wouldn't you be going, I need the biggest army I can to make this battle easy? God's saying, if the battle were easy, you'd be tempted to take credit Wow, verse 3, now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and worried is to return and leave Mount Gilead. Okay, so he's saying, go back and tell the people, if you're nervous about attacking the Midianites, you can go ahead and leave. So he does that. So 22,000 from the people returned, but 10,000 remained. That means he, he went to attack the Midianites with 32,000 people. Now, the only, they only counted men in those days, so it was probably at least double that. So 32,000 and 22,000 returned. Ten remained. Okay, ten. Judges 7, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. So it shall be that of he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Now, you can read verses five, six, 5 and 6. It's a cool way that, that he selects his men, but that's a story for another day. But read that if you want. It's really cool. Judges 7, 7 through 9. Then the Lord said to Gideon. Now, this is after they've pared it down to a small number. The Lord said to Gideon, I will save you with the 300 men who lapped. That's drank the water. And I will hand the Midianites over to you. So have all the other people go, each man to his home. Verse 8, so the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and Gideon dismissed all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Okay, so the Lord has told him to do this. He's pared it down to 300 men. The Lord is saying, these are the ones that I'm going to hand Midian over to you with them. And he's standing on this hill, and he's looking down at the camp of the Midianites. He's heard all this from the Lord. He's not guessing. This isn't a friend who's told him this. The Lord has told him this. Verse 9, now on the same night, it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have handed it over to you. Sounds like Gideon is a man of unwavering faith, right? Like the Lord said it, we did it, let's go take that camp. 
that mountain that seemed too high to climb, too high to get over, God is saying, here's, you're going to do it. Not only are you going to do it, but you're going to do it with just those little men. And you're going to do it so that I get the glory and not you. So even after hearing directly from the Lord, Gideon, you can read the rest of Judges there in between. Gideon's wandering around going, should we really? Is it really God that said that? Am I really supposed to go down there? He's doing this. He's arguing with himself. Judges 7.15 then says this. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. Stop there. He goes down, runs into some random dude on the street, and the random dude says, hey, I had a dream that you were going to conquer Midian with your 300 men. Now he's like, oh, okay. Now I get it. The Lord spoke it to me. I did it, and it all happened. But since you said it, now I'm going to believe it. Then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has handed over to you the camp of Midian. Read that whole story. It's an amazing story. Two things I take away from that. Don't ever discount the power of a prophetic word if you have one for somebody. If the Lord says to you, you need to go tell that person this, that may be just the thing that that person needs to convince them that they really are hearing from God. We don't know if the Lord actually appeared to Gideon, if he heard it in a dream, if he heard a voice. We don't know how we know, but it says the Lord said to Gideon. But it took the confirmation of this random guy that he didn't even know for for Gideon to say, okay, now I know, let's go. Don't ever discount that. Here's the other thing now. Gideon spent all this time gathering this huge army and all these people thinking we're going to go and we're just going to run, just plow over the Midianites with all these people. And God said, okay, that end goal, that's still going to happen, but it's not going to look like you think. Because if it did look like you thought, then you're going to say, yeah, me and my 32,000 soldiers easily overtook Midian. That's not the way God works. God didn't want Gideon to have, the, to have that, that glory. He probably knew Gideon better than he knew himself, you think? To say, if I give Gideon that victory with all these soldiers, he's going to start boasting. And that's not where I want him. I want him to rely on the Lord. I want him to cry out in desperation, like, how do we do this? I want him to have doubts. I want him to have questions and reservations. And I'm going to overcome those right in front of his eyes. And then get the glory for that. So here's my question. Simple conclusion. After all those stories, what's the battle that you're fighting right now? think about it, everybody. In in our midweek service, our Wednesday service, I asked that question, but I had everybody, smaller group, I had everybody raise their hands, and we all talked about that thing. What's that number one thing? If I said, what's the biggest mountain you're trying to overcome right now in your life? What's that thing? Think about it for a second. We've all got one. Some of them, they're all critically important to each one of us, Some would think those are more important, less, but they're all your mountain. What do you need to climb that mountain? Is it something you can do on your own? Do you just need to double down and work harder? Do you need another self-help book or maybe, maybe Google will help you figure out how to get around that mountain? Or are you willing just to set all that aside and just seek the Lord and just say, God, I don't care if my answer to prayer looks like I think it ought to look, let's say you're praying for a promotion at work and you need that promotion, otherwise you're not gonna be able to make your your bills. The prayer would be, God, I want that promotion at work. That'd be the obvious prayer, but wouldn't it be beyond that immediate and say, God, I need your provision. I need to be able to, to to make my bills. How are you gonna do that, God? I can't wait to see. And if he chooses to promote you at work, then he's done that. If he chooses to have you stop and get a lottery ticket, yes, he works through lottery tickets. Not with me so far, but he does. Um, It's God's faithfulness. And whether it looks like you think it was going to look, the blessing is in the end. And the blessing is in our being able to say, God, I know you are faithful. And whether it looks like I thought in my mind or how my plans laid it out, God, I know you're good. And if we're able to say that, then there is no mountain that we can't conquer. 
And we will live a life that is free of the doubts that Satan is going to sow into our lives. If you allow yourself to go down the road of saying, this is not what I was hoping for, okay, it's better. That's what we should be saying. Does that make sense? I laid last night or sat in front of my screen and I was trying to come up with a really good, um, really just a bam, a conclusion for this thing. And the Lord told me, he said, just pray. Ask the question, what's the mountain that we're all trying to climb? And God, what do you have for us? So let's do that together before the worship team comes up. Father God, Lord, we all, we all have our mountain. We all have that struggle. We all have that thing in our life that we're trying to overcome. And God, we know that you have the solution. We don't even need to know what the solution is. What we need to know is that you are good and that you are faithful. And if we seek you and we trust in you and we pray to you, give you the desires of our heart, Lord, you know our desires. And Father, how you choose to answer them, what you choose to do, I will praise you anyway. I will praise you in any storm and every storm because I know every storm, every difficulty, every mountain is an opportunity for you to show your goodness and your faithfulness to me. And so God, right now, I don't see a way over this mountain, but I know that you do, and so I praise you today. Tomorrow, if it looks like I thought it was going to look, I will praise you. If it looks different than I thought it was going to look, I will praise you. If I see no movement in my eyes and my flesh, I will praise you anyway because I know you are faithful and you are good. So, Father, I just ask that you speak to all of us right now where we are. And you know that mountain. You know that burden, that thing that we're looking at in front of us. God, speak to us where we are. And tell us that you've got this. Just reaffirm that in our hearts, God. You're not unaware of what we're going through. And you've got this. Lord, we lay our fears and our burdens down. You sent your son Jesus to take those burdens, to take those fears. And it's only the enemy that wants us to carry those things with us. And so right now, we accept the victory of Jesus on the cross that once and for all defeated the purposes of the enemy. We no longer have to be thrown around. We can stand with you, the king of kings, and we know that you are good. So, Father, we bless you in this place every day. We trust you every day, and we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to take communion together right now. If you're new here, even if you're not new here, it works the same way. We're going to take communion together, and, and you don't have to be a member of this church. Um, all that you need is to call Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, then you're called to celebrate that and remember that every time that we gather together. So the way that we do it, we'll have a couple ways. Number one, at the, at the station right over here, we've got juice and bread and gluten-free crackers. And if you'd like to serve yourself there with the juice, you can do that. Um, but over here by that speaker stand and then right over here behind the TV. So form two lines coming down. We're still trying to figure out how to make it work well. But form two lines coming down, maybe down the middle and going back like that. And we will serve you there. We have wine up front here. And what we do here is you just dip it and then take that. But what it represents is the body and the blood of Christ. The body broken, given for you and broken for your sins. Paid the price, literally paid the price for you. Every sin you have ever committed, every sin you ever would commit, he did that for you. He offered himself up to take that punishment. The blood of Christ offered, here it's wine and juice. It can be anything. If you're out there online, it can be anything that you have. It's not what it is. It's what it signifies. And the blood of Christ shed for you is the blood of the new covenant. That blood that says it's no longer about what you do, but what I have done. And it's about us accepting that. And every time that we take communion then, we accept that new covenant. 
And so if you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure that I can really trust in Jesus. I'm not really sure that his blood was enough to cover my sins. I'm not sure that his broken body was enough. Then I want you to stay in your pews and just, and just pray until you feel ready. Because every time we take communion, we are realigning ourselves with Jesus, with his promises, with his goodness. And we are saying, yes, I accept that. And I will live my life as a reflection of who you say I am and of your faithfulness. Amen. So worship with us and feel free when you're ready. Let's work and uh, let's uh, move about and take communion together. Thanks, guys.